Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Unite podcast. We are here coming to you from all across Canada. And uh, we are missing some compatriots uh, tonight, but we have a very special episode for you tonight. The start of a series that we will put in here and there in season four and going forward. Uh, this is our what if episode that became kind of the, the what if uh, summer, if you will, with uh, certain shows coming out from big, big conglomerate comic book to uh, people writing articles. So we're going to put forth different scenarios and talk about uh, just the what if uh, based on, you know, a fact, a statement, something happening. But before we do that, let's welcome in our esteemed panel. Uh, Charles, welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, How's it going? Oh, well, all is good here in our, in our nation's capital. I'm just, you know, every day you've got, got stuff to do, but... Uh... As we've all talked about on the in previous podcasts, this is the best time of the year. Everything is starting or gearing up for playoffs and other sports. So can't can't be nothing but excited right now. And Paul, sounding crystal clear as ever. How is it going in Southern Ontario? Oh, not too bad, sir. Thank you. I mean, basketball has been kind of rainy every now and then, and it's. I can I can attest to this that I don't need Weather Network to tell me it's the fall. My allergies are already telling me that enough as is. But other than that, things are pretty good. I mean, things are getting a little more exciting with the Jays, slowly but surely, getting into the into the postseason. Hopefully, well, it's only a matter of time. Just need a little help from Boston for once for a Toronto team. Oh, that's a little weird. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> either way, things are good. Things are good. Thank you. We got Kenzie up north uh, acting a little bit like a groundhog. Kenzie, please tell us winter is not coming. Uh, it is. It snowed yesterday and we got like a foot. It's disgusting. Well, yeah, some things you can't, you can't help. And uh, last but not least, we have Cole. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful time of year. Uh, you know, sometimes people like to to hear how we introduce Cole based on uh, emails. So we was trying to uh, try and change it up. Hopefully they like this last one. Uh, but before we get into our main topic, um, you know, it's fall. Like everyone's saying quickly, it'll be uh, it'll be uh, snowing everywhere across Canada and it'll be winter. Uh, and as we've just entered into fall, uh, how was everyone's summer? We took a little bit of time off. Uh, we did some stuff, watched some sports. People met up. Imagine that, you know, talking about that two years ago, people meeting up in person. Uh, how were your summers? Oh, pretty jam-packed here. Um, I decided to take the big plunge, and I proposed to my girlfriend. Um, you know, we've been, we've, been, we've been living together for a little while now, and I... Uh, you know, I joined up with uh, the kids, so coming to becoming daddy, wedding is scheduled for a couple of years from now, so we got a lot of work to do between now and then. Uh, got to go take in my first live Jays game and meet my colleague Paul there at the same time, so it was a awesome weekend back in August there. 
So I've uh, <laughs> I had a jam-packed summer. And I hope you didn't mind me there saying woo. I mean that sincerely. Like, congratulations, Charles. Like, honestly, so exciting. <laughs> so exciting. Uh, for me, well, I mean, it's nice being, you know, working in a school board and everything because you get the summers off. And when I have the summers off, I go all out. And my God, did I go all out. So let's see. I went up to Ottawa, Montreal, Cornwall for about two weeks, seeing some friends, seeing some old haunts. I mean, I miss Ottawa, safe, clean, friendly city. Uh, Montreal definitely gained a whole new appreciation for Montreal. I mean, I went all around a good chunk of the area. I mean, hit up uh, Mount Royal, not only during the daytime, but the nighttime for once. That was beautiful. Uh, went to uh, Parjari, uh, saw the stadium, uh, went into the pool. And that was actually kind of cool in the fact that I was able to go in without having my ID checked or anything I could just walk right in, go into the change room, get my gear on. And then before you know it, I'm swimming for free. And I mean, try doing that, try doing that down here in Southern Ontario. You can't do that over here. So that was cool. And of course, saw some other little old places that I went to years, years ago, like uh, Jean Talon and just for laughs, had a little thing going on at Place des Arts. So in Cornwall, saw a couple of friends over there, uh, biked along the St. Lawrence River, very scenic. And Cornwall's a nice little community. I mean, one of those spots where like, you have, to be, you have to have a reason to be over there. But when you have that reason, it's a nice little visit. And then other than that, um, plenty of trips to the Toronto Islands. I mean, if anyone has never gone over there around Toronto, I highly recommend it. Plenty of beaches, sand dunes and forests and plenty of uh, park space over there. Virtually no cars. Everyone's in a good mood during this time of year. Great time. Uh, plenty of ball games. It's see Sir Charles and Kenzie. That was pretty cool. And um, I also went to Pinery Provincial Park around near Grand Bend, around in Ontario, uh, just near, um, well, right along uh, Lake Huron there. And I also went to Pittsburgh, went to uh, see the Jays play the Pirates at PNC Park on Labor Day weekend. And my God, that park is gorgeous. I love the sandstone colors, the the blue seats, which they made reference, uh, calling them Forbes blue in reference to Forbes field. One of their old parks from back in the day, um, the skyline, I mean, you know, with the backdrop and everything right out in the outfield, beautiful and really had a ball. I mean, bonus Jay swept the pirates. So can't complain. No, my summer was honestly probably my favorite one by far. Um, yeah, for me, I it turned it into a summer of adventures. Like, uh, like Paul, I also worked for the school system up here in the North. So summer's off. We had eight weeks, um, to begin my summer, we decided as a territorial organization, um, that we were going to bring a team to Canada games this summer. Um, so my first two weeks, we ran a training camp at a yellow knife and I was able to attend Folk on the Rocks, which is a large folk music festival right on the beach in Yellowknife. Worth it if anybody's ever up that way during that time. Definitely check that out. Listeners, check that out as well. If you're ever up north, look me up. I'll book you up with tickets. Um, the next two weeks, I was able to spend at the family cottage, just relaxing, enjoying family time, seeing everybody again finally after this long COVID pandemic. Um, after that, it was off to Toronto. I met up with Paul, watched a couple of Blue Jays games. Quite fun. Nice stadium. Never been in it before until those games. Um, I will be back. I have to go back. Great stadium. Great games. Great team. 
Um, and this is coming from an Angels fan, so take it or leave it. Um, I was then off to Canada Games for a week. We were in the second week. Um, I was coaching track and field, also known as athletics. And I would have to say single-handedly the coolest event I've ever been to and gotten to be a part of like in a backstage capacity. Um, after that, it was off to Yellowknife for about a week of sleep. And then we were back to school. And here we are. Well, uh, for me, sadly, I did not get the summer off, but I got uh, every other Friday off. So that was almost like that. Not really, but you know, <laughs> uh, my summer was pretty great. Can't complain. Flew by in an instant like it always does, sadly, but got lots of golfing in. Good times with some friends at cottages, good get togethers, bonfires, barbecues, pool days. Honestly, can't complain. Made the most of it and even had a, uh, you know, guest appearance with the podcast host master himself, Justin, my brother. Uh, So that was amazing getting to see him after almost three years. Nothing better feeling than that. It's crazy how time flies like that, but nothing better. Topped off a perfect summer. And you won your volleyball finals. Ah. Yes, my beach volleyball team. I can't believe I forgot. After so many years, we finally won the finals. You got over the hump. Yeah. Noise. Yes, I as well am not lucky enough to, to work in the school system and get summers off. I actually do the opposite. I work in the heritage field, so summers are our busiest time, uh, 99% of the time. So, uh, yeah, lots of work, um, you know, lots of time with animals. I, I'm fortunate enough I get to play with the animals as well as a, a side gig um did a little bit of travel uh to toronto unfortunately i arrived the day after the jays left so no blue jay games for me um and you know raptors aren't playing and why would i see the other toronto teams like um that was the extent but one big event did happen that we were able to cover and that was the summertime world juniors they actually did happen if you blinked you might have missed it and uh, got to see all the medal rounds, uh, talked with some fans from Sweden. They had an entire section. Uh, they were very, very kind. Um, we have photos from that. So if you check us out on our social media page, you can see um, the delayed, delayed uh, package that they had set for December uh, 2020 into 2021 and then summer 2022. Uh, but that final game was nerve-wracking. Oh, my Lord. Worth uh, price of admission just to be at that gold medal game. Worth uh, worth every penny. And it was something that uh, got to check off the bucket list to see uh, World Junior Final and to see Canada win gold. Uh, it was just the icing on the cake. Uh, a great, great tournament under the circumstances. It was a little weird, but... You know, it counts, and uh, we'll get another World Juniors in uh, T-minus two-ish months. So we'll get uh, – that'll be probably the, the first episode after our after the World Cup because we got a World Cup to talk about. We got NHL. 
we have MLB playoffs. Uh, we have Canada Summer Games. We're going to do an episode all about that. Have some special guests lined up for that. We got a busy fall going into winter. No break for us. We got our rest during the 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 summer. So let's get into it. What if? Now, when someone hears what if, pretty much exactly what it sounds. Everyone thinks of these scenarios, whether you're applying for a job, you know, placing a, a bet, uh, you're, you know, deciding to buy a big purchase, um, you know, maybe a big move, maybe a, a proposal or two. You know, what if I don't do this? How badly will I get beat up? I don't know. Just <laughs> those are the questions that some of us may, may or may not have asked themselves a few times ago. Uh, so we have taken that concept and put it into different sports. Um, so, uh, you know, no exact, like no, no, just all hockey or basketball, just great moments that happen within the sporting uh, world that's uh you know what if and to get us started off uh one that uh is appropriate to today is uh what if paul henderson doesn't score the goal and ends communism i mean what what happens what happens if that doesn't happen well i don't think he really ended communism but he definitely gave canada the superiority uh, bragging rights for the rest of time over over the USSR, now known as Russia. Well, you know they just and, they stopped picking on Canada and went after America. So you know, it's, pretty much, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you look at what it started with all, all the grassroots programs and the organization that eventually was like Hockey Canada, and like all, all the you know the the program of excellence and all this and the national teams we fielded for the last fifty years. And how many tournaments have we won? Uh, if Paul Henderson doesn't score that goal, if Canada doesn't win that game, if they don't win that series, honestly, and this may sound blasphemous to say this to everyone here with you know via this via the the, the technology of Zoom and who is listening to the podcast, I don't think Canada is the hockey powerhouse it becomes without that goal. Canada might be like a you know, kind of like where Sweden and Finland are. They're considered upper-class hockey powers, but they, fought, they, they they choke way too often, so they're not, they're not considered elite superpowers. I think that's where Canada would be on, on, the, on the world of hockey without that goal. Yeah, I'd say I definitely agree on that for sure. And I'd also, I'll, I'll, I'll dive in a little more into that as well, too, in the fact that, you know, in in Canada's history, at least from what I I've noticed, you know, from all the years that I had Canadian history, you know, uh, growing up in the school system and everything, like Canada always had like that bridesmaid kind of mentality a little bit, if you know what I mean. In that, you know, sure we were there and everything, but you know, we never had like the big moments, like say like uh, like the states or even with the USSR. I mean, yeah, we've had some moments, and I mean, we are a good we we're one of the best countries in the world, um, like we've like we liberated netherlands in world war ii for one example like we also thought it was you know in our best interest to uh whiz and rags so we wouldn't have to smell gas during world war one I. I mean we're a very versatile friendly intelligent bunch and everything and yet you know we always feel like 
kind of almost kind of like, well, particularly with the States, almost like the little brother a little bit. And yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, if the goal didn't happen, I mean, we wouldn't, as said, as you mentioned, Charles, we wouldn't have like the bragging rights of basically saying that we, well, won the cold war on, on the ice that is. (laughs) And thank you. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I digress. I mean, yeah, for all I know, I mean, maybe the USSR would continue being the dominant, you know, hockey powerhouse that, you know, they were known to be back in the day. I mean, it almost makes me think also about going a little further. What if the miracle on ice didn't happen? You know, like what, what if that didn't happen? Not only from the standpoint of, you know, the States beating, beating the Soviets in an improbable, well, miracle. Uh, but also just in that world stage and everything, since, you know, it was still deep into the cold war, even though slowly, but surely it was eventually going to be, well, the time where the Soviets were eventually going to well dissolve. So yeah, no, it's, it is food for thought for sure. That's a good point. Uh, Paul, even talking about like the miracle on ice there, like what if they don't, what if the college kids of the U S don't prevail in that game and does the USSR kind of keep stronger a little more because there's not as much pressure from the world stage like everybody's eyes on them were as Um, a historian no probably but that's what the what is for I agree that it it did change a lot of things in the world of hockey. I think both goals did Um, just in the simple fact of how many times, and I'll throw this out here to you folks. How many times were you a little kid on the road with your buddies? You got the ball, you're coming in, it's game seven or it's game this I'm Paul Henderson going down and scoring the goal, eventually working their way into the NHL and maybe scoring some of those goals. How many kids did that influence to come and play hockey? How many kids in the U.S. did the Miracle on Ice goal inspire? I think hockey grew because of those goals, just in both countries. Uh, You know what? That's probably the greatest point you could have made there, Kenzie, because it was 1972, and a certain hockey phenom from Brantford, Ontario, was still seven years away from making his NHL debut does Wayne Gretzky play hockey because of that? Does he go, does he stay with baseball and does he become the great one of baseball? Uh, and we're never talking about Wayne Gretzky and hockey uh, because of Paul Henderson's goal. Uh, I know Gretzky said his idol was Gordie Howe growing up, but you, you had to know that Gretzky, who at the time was probably about 11 or 12 years old in 1972, that goal had to have a huge influence on him as a, as a, as a Canadian and as a specifically a Canadian hockey player. So, and then you think then, you know, let's go down that rabbit hole a bit more. When Gretzky doesn't play hockey, then all the kids he influenced and all the kids who looked up to him who were stars of the 90s into the early 2000s and even the post-lockout year, that whole group, Iserman, Lemieux, and we can go on and on and naming great hockey, Canadian hockey players. They, do they ever get inspired to play because Gretzky's not there? Which, which now circles back to my point that Canada would not be a ho- the hockey superpower that it has been for the last, you know, five decades. 
yeah like and <laughs> that's the great point about a what if you can go down a rabbit hole uh yeah like you said yeah does Wayne Gretzky uh stay with lacrosse even uh, as his winter sport and play indoor lacrosse yeah. uh and then you know channel baseball because he would play lacrosse in the summertime during the off season for hockey does he pick up baseball and keep lacrosse as a winter sport like all of this stuff uh now i will say from a historical standpoint obviously uh cold war did not end uh after uh september 28 uh 1972 as a historian um uh, it's my job to know that uh and uh you know, obviously it didn't change anything except for the fact that it showed that the Soviet Union was beatable and what that did everywhere else outside um, is kind of. And then again, the Miracle on Ice, they were beaten again. And, uh, you know, is sport responsible for that? it's responsible for bringing together nations like it did Canada and the United States. Um, and that's what sport does. That's the point of this podcast, how it brings everyone together, obviously in sport, there are losers sometimes. And, but this was a great turning point in the sport of hockey because uh, it was, you know, at this point, mostly North Americans. Uh, that were coming in to and playing in the NHL. So this outside unknown, really, this was the test. And it showed that, hey, we can hang with these so um, professional athletes that uh, only play in the USSR and are also on the, uh, you know, military. So that's essentially the, uh, the what if kind of vibe. So Let's get into it. Hmm, where do we want? Oh, all right. Which one? You know what? We'll go with this one. In the late 1990s, baseball was having a crisis. Sort of like it is now. Until a little thing called the home run race happened between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And we're kind of seeing a resurgence here with Aaron Judge and people complaining that no one's pitching to him and blah, 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 like whatever. But then also the question is, how much money will that ball go for? And all of this stuff. Well, it's kind of resurgent. The person who caught Mark McGuire's uh, home run, all he wanted to do was meet the man. They said no. So he sold the ball for $3 million and was set for, for, a long time now obviously steroids helped this major league baseball was not uh shy or blind to this but what if the home run race never happened never invigorated the fan base to continue to watch to see what would happen um and we carried on uh, you know, as usual, and probably the next big event that would have changed the baseball demographic is New York winning all those championships. I mean, th- it was during this time as well, but uh, with 9-11 happening um, or the Red Sox, uh, you know, eventually winning 
less than a decade later. But would all of that matter if the home run race in the late 1990s did not happen? Would it matter? Yes. Would it have had the same rallying effect? No. Yes, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa admitted that they took performance-enhancing steroids throughout their career. Guess what? So did half of baseball during that time, to some varying degree. So it's, it's like saying, yeah, we took steroids. In other news, water is wet. But that home run race captivated fans because uh, the average baseball fan these days is older than we are. It's closer to Kenzie's age than it is my age. So I think baseball would be where they are now 30 years ago without the home run race, where the attendance in a lot of places would have continued to die off. Um, now, I mean, the, you know, the teams in the American League never saw much of the attendance boost because those two guys, Sosa and McGuire, played in the National League. But you look at some of the parks, you look at all the parks they played, and every time they went there, there was massive crowds the revenue and the trickle down rabbit hole effect that has without that home run race, how much else is affected because of it? Millions upon millions of dollars and thousands upon thousands of jobs become affected because baseball would have been in a much bigger hole in 1998 than what they were. Oh, I agree on that one big time. Cause you look at, even though people knew they were on steroids, look at the excitement it brought to the younger generation watching it. I want to hit a home run like he does. Like, I want to swing that bat. I want to get it farther than he does. Like, do you have the Guerrero juniors that grew up watching some of these people, the excitement where those New York Yankees and the Red Sox championships, even exciting if that really didn't happen. Like, do they have the same energy and effect in the baseball world? If something like this didn't happen, like, would there even be a, this many teams? Like how much revenue has died down? So much came from that. And yeah, who cares? Everybody was on steroids, like you said. It made it exciting though. Not that it's a good thing, but. Yeah, no, I think I'll be preaching the choir a bit here in that. Yeah, no, if it didn't happen, I mean, we can look back at the time, particularly around 1994 with the strike and everything, like people were pretty much, they weren't too pleased with MLB with their, everything that happened with the strike, with the cancellation of the rest of the season, the postseason, and world series being canceled and everything. And I mean, there was major, major back backlash in 1995, like attendance dropped all around yeah. league wide and people were just absolutely furious foaming at the mouth. And, you know, you had teams, particularly they's expo, you know, they were the best team in 19, in 1984 and in the, in the season and the, the, the canceled season pretty much killed them. And who knows of the other teams who could have possibly met the same fate as well, too. I mean, I can recall, oh, OK, this was after the Derby, of course. But I mean, the contraction, I mean, them and the twins, they were on that list right there. So, I mean, who knows who else could have been if, say, the Derby didn't happen? I mean it definitely reinvigorated interest in the game again. And sure, there was that whole thing with people taking those performance-enhancing drugs. But again, as already mentioned, everyone was ta was taking them. So <laughs> kind of a moot point a little there. 
but yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely, I, I can't say that I was watching around that time, but I was re- watching around or at least paying attention about maybe 2003, 2004. So that would have been around the time when the Expos were on their way out and the Jays were, well, not really all, all that hot themselves. So, I mean, things were kind of not really all that great up here, but I mean, could be far worse. I'll say this. Um, that home run race made me start watching baseball. I never watched it up until then. I thought it was slow. I thought it was boring. I was more of a hockey guy. Didn't even really watch football at the time. That home run race got me into watching baseball. It's what was exciting. And it's what's missing from baseball even today is the excitement. You still get it here and there, but it's not overall, it's not an exciting sport similar to football. It's a lot of stop and start. It's a lot of switching things up, guys on, guys off. Um, What that home run race, I think, has done in the long run is what Cole said. You have all these kids who are just trying to mash the ball now. Uh You're seeing it as an issue in the major leagues now where guys are pulling the ball and the defenders are shifting into it now. And everybody is now going, ban the shift, ban the shift. Well, that came from that home run race. People, I don't think, realize that. Every kid now wants to pull that ball as hard as they can. So just stack that side. We can stop them from going anywhere. It made baseball boring again because guys are not using the whole field. So I think it was good for the excitement factor, and the home runs are always exciting. Don't get me wrong. I love watching a home run live. Um, But I think it's also taken a negative turn in that just people just want to pull the ball now. And now you're seeing the shift and now you're not seeing as many runs and baseball is kind of getting boring again. That's my take. Well, you're not terribly far off there, Kenzie. Um, But I think Cole's point probably rings the loudest of anything that we've said. And, you know, case in point, I was 12 years old, turning 13 during that home run race. And during, you know, the whole summer long, no, no, summer off school, as we talked about for Paul and Kenzie. All summer Ooh. long, I was uh, at the local ball field, which Justin and Cole know quite well at the high school, right near where we all grew up. Uh, I was hitting baseballs, trying to hit one over the fence because I wanted to be like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. So it, it, it definitely, if that, if that has an effect on one little Canadian kid, imagine all the other kids in the United States of America where baseball is you know, second only to football for national pastime. So how many, you know, we, we talked about this with Wayne Gretzky in, in the last one. How many kids don't grow up to become baseball superstars because of that home run race? 100%. I would just like to say, I said earlier it was uh, melting outside. I lied. It's snowing again. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Canada. What if it wasn't snowing? <laughs> What if the snow stayed away for another month? Ooh. Well, no, I, will say, I, I, I will say this about snow. <laughs> I will say this about snow. I know we all hate it. And when it comes in the 50 centimeter, you know, all at once, it sucks. But it's also what helps gives us RODRs, the outdoor rinks, which, damn, we, every kid in this country grew up playing on. Three weeks, we'll have one outside of the uh, Friendship Center in town. <laughs> So 
I got I got about three months to wait before mine's done, so I'm a little jealous of you there, brother. No, and I think that's baseball's I think that's baseball's problem in a nutshell is they are chasing that high that the home run race gave them. It gave them, you know, extra revenue, gave them eyeballs, sponsorships, people wanting to play the game of, cause of course, how many kids now are in the league? Uh, you know, obviously that they, they're probably uh, veterans at this point, maybe, um, you know, five plus years in the game. If they, you know, went through the farm system, grew up being like, yep, I'm going to be like them hit, uh, hit baseballs. And then, uh, you know, here we go. Uh, and then they played the game grew up. Uh, so they benefited from that high, if you will, but there are holes in that system because the game is designed to be more than just who can hit the ball, the hardest, the farthest. Um, and there are elements and everything that go along with baseball and people figure out how to beat that. How do you beat a, someone who hits a strong home run? You walk them or you throw a weird ball. You don't throw them fastball. Like things evolve other than hitting the ball. And that's where you talk about, you know, next year there's no shift because teams figured out a defensive scheme for people who just want to hit the ball hard. And it goes over the fence one to two out of every 10 so those eight to nine other times, the ball's in play. How do we get that ball? So I think they followed that model for far too long. And it again, we're back in that suffering period. And I don't think another home run race is going to save them. And they're going to have to try. Will baseball die out? No. But a lot of the fans that majorly care are dying out. So they have to figure out a way. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll at everything baseball's trying to do. You know, they have more playoff teams now than ever before. You know, next and year they got the they got they got the pitch clock. They got the banning of the ship. They got they this, were they got the that. worst for playoffs. They're like, no, only this many. It's like you want only four, <laughs> only four. Like, okay, you want all your other teams who are out by mid-August. No one's showing up. So, like, you're affecting your revenue and your bottom line. Exactly. Maybe eight to 10 teams are in it come September. So those eight to 10 fan bases are happy. But, you know, if Minnesota's been out of it since the all-star break, you're going to have to sell dollar hot dogs to convince people to show up. And you look at baseball, it's been kind of the same few teams that are making it in that playoff format over and over again, which doesn't just create such a downward slope for the dying breed of baseball. All because the usual suspects have the big pockets like the Yankees and Dodgers and whatnot. If anything, if there's one thing that I could suggest of MLB changing up a little bit, get rid of the blackout restrictions. It's 2022. Like I should not have to be, I don't know. I know for some people with with who use like MLB TV or anything, like when they want to watch like Jays or anything, sometimes they get blacked out, like even in their own home country, just because, you know, that they're closer to like a team that has like specific rights and everything. It's like, 
Again, it's 2022. Get rid of them. Just uh, to add on to that, I went to watch the Habs pre-game, preseason game the other night. Went to TSN, too, where they host all the Montreal games. And because I'm not in the region, I'm blacked out. Tried a VPN. VPN wouldn't allow it for some reason on TSN. Uh, bummer. So I was like, fine, I'll turn on Sportsnet. There's got to be a baseball game on. I happened to notice, oh, they're showing the Montreal game. I click on it. And the feed is the TSN2 feed. (laughs) (laughs) Not kidding. So they were showing the TSN feed on Sportsnet, and I could not get it on TSN. Very strange. We're Again, 2022. Why do blackouts exist? What if there were no more blackouts? paradise well all they'd have to do is take the nfl concept and uh you can pretty much watch an nfl game on like six or seven different channels and platforms now yeah just get their media right deal because that's insane yeah (laughs) just want to watch my hockey damn it (laughs) (laughs) is that so hard to ask i know (laughs) All right, so in honor of the Raptors uh, playing a preseason game here in Edmonton, which tickets sold out in 45 minutes, and I was not prepared to buy tickets till closer to the event day to be like, oh, yeah, sure. And then an hour later when they said it was sold out, I went, what? So clearly there's basketball star fans out here in the West, um, which, uh, you know, kind of ties into this fact what if the grizzlies never moved to memphis the grizzlies were never going to be successful under the ownership model that they had and the way they ran their team so if they never left i don't know much i don't know if anyone with that franchise would have changed the, the way it was in vancouver did memphis well, Vancouver and then became Memphis. They eventually got good, and they've been competitive on and off over the last 10 years. They've had a few down years, but I don't think they would have been competitive at all ever in Vancouver because no one – well, first of all, no one wanted to play in Vancouver. No, they couldn't attract, attract star free agents. Maybe they would have gotten better as, you know, constantly getting lottery picks – and, all, and the Canadian talent that eventually came along in the NBA. But I think they would have been just a doormat for the league for the last – I mean, when, when did they move? 2002, 2003? Roughly they, they moved to Memphis? If I can be corrected. I think uh, Paul's looking it up there for me. 2001. 2001, thank you. Welcome. So, from then until now, I mean, I, I think they still would have been doormats for another 10 to 15 years and only just now gaining some respectability. So, as much as I hate to say it, it almost did us a favor that they moved because it allowed focus just to be on the Raptors. Bringing on the Vince Carter effect. There you go. Air Canada. I mean, who was – I mean – the one big star, well, and I can't call him big star. The one real name that we can all remember off of Vancouver was Big Country, Reeves. So, well, see, that's the thing. Well, 
because I think a Vancouver team would work now. But I think bigger talent base. But I also think you're correct is the wrong owners because the dollar was weak. Very. And like you said, it's weird that no one wanted to go to Vancouver. Vancouver is a very, like, Beautiful lots city. of people want to go to well, Vancouver. So, I just, I just like think it wasn't sold correctly to basketball players because, you know, how for how often did people be like, oh, no one wants to play in Toronto when you're like Toronto, the fourth biggest city in North America, like the biggest, like, culture like everything is in toronto and even still when the raptors weren't doing so well it was like well you got the taxes you got the cold like no one wants to go and play there and i was like well like you have a whole and not until they were successful and you are correct the whole entire country although if it was just toronto vancouver i still think the country would have been behind them but showing you know the lure of having 38 million people be a fan of yours just because you play on the only team i think that finally began to sit with players being like oh like wow like that means something like my jersey my jersey could be like the third best selling one in the country and like i might be the sixth man on like on so I think Vancouver is Vancouver starving for more professional teams. Absolutely. But the ownership, I think at that time it was, oh, anyone can own a team. It's pretty easy. And people figured out that it wasn't. The Raptors themselves didn't even really start to gain real respectability until Masai Ujiri came in and then started running the Raptors and started showing them this is how you bloody run an organization. So maybe Absolutely. if if uh, Vancouver stayed and they had gotten Ujiri, maybe things turn around differently for them. I think what happened, just from my perspective, I was kind of young when the Grizzlies left and I wasn't really watching basketball. I still don't, I'll be honest. But what I think happened, because you talk about the Vince Carter effect, you talk about the title that the Raptors won. I think you just had too much basketball too fast. Canada wasn't ready. Canada was ready for basketball. Canada wasn't ready to have two teams. There wasn't, I know, like I remember growing up, the big sport that I played in school was soccer. Soccer and hockey. Those were the sports. We didn't have a football program because I'm in the Arctic and you can only do that in the summer and School's out in the summer, so you don't have football. Soccer was the sport. Hockey was the sport. Basketball was an afterthought. It's something you played in gym class. If you were tall enough, you played on the high school team. Now I look at the kids that I work with at the school. All of them, if you give them a free gym class, they're picking up a basketball. They're not interested in a volleyball. They're not interested in a hockey net. They want that basketball. The Raptors winning and the Vince Carter effect has made basketball explode in popularity in this country. And I think, again, like I said, the Grizzlies and the Raptors at that time was just too much. We weren't ready. We are now. And I think a second team, like some of you have said, would do quite well because of the interest. 
And that's not just here in a tiny little town in the Arctic. You go ask kids about basketball anywhere and they'll tell, they'll talk your ear off about it. It's the new sport. Yeah. Hockey's still there. Yeah. Baseball's still there. Kind of depending on where you are in Canada. Um, you know, football's always going to be there. Basketball. Oh, we never did this before. We were never good at this before. The Raptors just won. We have Canadians that are now stars in the league. We never had that before. So yeah, I think it was just too much too fast. That's what happened to the Grizzlies. Yeah. And like, if we had both of them say even now, up until like a few years before the championship, that was the biggest thing trying to get stars to come to play in Canada. Either way, that selling point, it was always, oh, it's too cold. You have to wear a winter jacket and stuff like that. Even though you get winter in New York and Chicago and all that, but it's the whole just being in another country piece was hard for a lot of players up until that early, like Maasai bringing people together in teams. So I could see, like, if Vancouver still had a team now, they might be successful, but I don't know if they can still survive in that sense of getting players to transfer over. Maybe after the Raptors won in Canada, that would have been a little easier for them. But just that selling point, like it was hard enough for some Raptors stars to get over here and become like household names. They had to do it that way versus some of them big names like Kawhi coming over and such. Well, look at how long did Kyle Lowry play in the NBA before he was really recognized for the star he was. He had been in the Toronto several years already and was just barely getting recognized, but when Kawhi showed up, you know, Marc Gasol showed up, and you had Serge Ibaka, three, three made superstars in the league, suddenly... People notice Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet. Yeah, they became household names across the U.S., Canada, you name it. Yeah. You wear that jersey, everybody knows who Fred VanVleet is on Toronto, anywhere in the world, yeah. almost. Yeah. Well, it's clearly worked because preseason game sells out in 45 minutes but uh, yeah i mean look what else was created we have the cebl yeah you know the canadian basketball league so um and there are teams all across canada from newfoundland there's a new team in vancouver now uh there's team in montreal and ottawa uh, Saskatoon, Edmonton. Uh, it's, you know, another way for people and they uh, draft picks uh, from Canadian university teams, uh, just like the NBA would. So uh, it's given that hope that, you know, there's another way to get to the NBA. Obviously, that's always going to be the end goal, just like the NFL is for football, uh, NHL is for hockey. But not everyone gets that direct path. Hey, I get a scholarship down to the States and then get picked or, Hey, I make, uh, you know, the London Knights and I get drafted. Sometimes you take an alternate route and uh, this just exposes uh, the game to more people. Uh, and without the Vince Carter effect, which obviously 
happened in the early 2000s to 20 years later, however many Canadians are in the league now, Canada's looking to make the Olympics again. And we have a whole entire league created just for Canada. Um, so it's maybe uh, Vancouver had to move so that Vince Carter could walk so that the Raptors could could run and win a championship. <laughs> I will add one thing. I do find it hilarious in that, you know, talking about losing a Canadian team and everything to a game that, well, was invented by a Canadian, Naismith from Almont. So <laughs> just kind of funny when you think of that. But I will say, like, you know, the cards were definitely stacked up against the Grizzlies from the start, and having the weak Canadian dollar did not help at all whatsoever. And just from what I can see from, like, I can remember, like, some of the humble beginnings, some of them, not like the cavernous days of playing, like, in scratch that, uh, playing in the days of like the uh, Sky Dome, <laughs> being in the cavern that it is for that it was for basketball. I can't say I can recall those days, but I can remember like the days of like Vince Carter and like and the like with the Raptors. And um, to me, I just I always found that they were just kind of just there, you know, like um, awesome. We got you know professional basketball team and everything in the NBA and everything around in Toronto. But you know, for the longest time, like hockey was king. Nowadays, I would argue, I mean, yeah, hockey's still kind of king, but if you really want to have a better understanding of what Toronto's really like in regards to like demographics and things like that, you would go to a Raptors game. And I mean, I've gone to a couple in the past while during uh during the past couple of years and to me, compared to the Leafs, it's like going to a party, like people are really in into it, you know, there's some good entertainment here and there and you know, fans are very knowledgeable, loyal, passionate, and just really enjoy being there. Going to the Leafs, on the other hand, it's like going to a funeral home. Um, <laughs> and I would argue that kind of stems from just how more, I guess, diverse uh, people's tastes have gotten when it comes to sports in Canada. I mean, long gone are the days of just hockey being king and everything. Nowadays, like particularly in Toronto, like you have so many options now with basketball, with soccer, with baseball having, you know, the revival that it did in 2015 and they're on with the Jays. And it's, if Vancouver just had something like that, and I mean, there's, I would argue they're kind of seeing that a little bit. I mean, yeah, the Canucks are still King over there too, but I mean, nowadays with um, the white caps and everything, they, I, I think they have like a decent following if I recall. Right. And well, I mean, okay. Can't say that much with the lions, but you know, is what it is uh, <laughs> but i mean if vancouver just had something like that and the other cards weren't stacked up against them like with the weak canadian dollar at the time and everything like that i mean maybe things could have been viable for them you never know that's the fun of this is anything could have happened um all right so this one's oh go ahead sorry i was just gonna add just one more thing i will say this i've been loving seeing like some of the old like jerseys and everything that people have been uh, wearing about every now and then and even some of the old caps i mean i don't know i'm a sucker for that old grizzlies logo the grizzlies jersey was i am oh, a top notch if uh you know i i might have to start to there are definitely jerseys that uh of teams that i uh don't cheer for or you know whatever but uh you know i love a good jersey and uh 
you know, I'm on the lookout. May have to start a collection, but it's pricey, of course. But those uh, those teal greens, those that was those were those were in. My next one's the Swedish national team, the yellow one. Mm. That's, cool. one. That's my next jersey. All right, so this is this is a big one. What if Super Mario didn't get sick? Oh my god, Mario Lemieux not getting sick with cancer. I'm gonna go and say it. He would have destroyed Wayne Gretzky's point record. Look at his points per game. He had a better PPG than Gretzky did. And he was Gretzky is the only guy to ever hit 200 or more points in the season, and Mario missed it by one. By one point. And he was only getting better. He was, uh, him and to an extent Eric Lindros were a cut above the rest of the league from a physical point of view. These were power forwards in a time where everybody was smaller. In today's NHL, they'd be you know, okay, you notice them, they're big, but they wouldn't be extraordinary in size by, by comparison to today with the, with the size of everybody. But back in those early 90s, the late 80s and early 90s, they were a cut above, especially Lemieux, playing with that big body and the skill. If Mario doesn't get sick with, with Hoskins and doesn't have a back problem, Mario Lemieux ends his career as the highest scoring player in NHL history. And it's good. And we're talking Gretzky's still probably one of the best players ever to lace them up. But Mario would have been king of the of the points. And Pittsburgh would have had at least one more cup between then and Crosby. I think also Pittsburgh doesn't go into that hole of, oh my God, we're terrible and now we need to yeah. sell the team. Holy shit. I don't yeah. think that happens. Yeah, things were so dire for them. The huge drop-off after Mario and Yager leaving, I don't think that happens. Because I think you have people staying with that team. Because who's the next one? Who's the next one? Who's going to get us out of this hole? So if he doesn't get sick, absolutely, I agree with Charles. He's the greatest of all time, points-wise. Because he could do things that Wayne Gretzky could do, and he was six foot four. So, yeah. you know, I'll give them that. Um, but I also think Pittsburgh doesn't enter that lull until Crosby gets there, where it gets but to does the Crosby you get sell this team. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> if Pittsburgh, I mean, now here, here's bear with me here for a second, guys. If Pittsburgh doesn't go into that lull for years upon years, from about '96 to oh. Four of really, they're not really the a powerhouse team anymore. They don't stockpile all those draft picks. They don't get Mark Andre Fleury, Jordan Stahl, Sidney Crosby, Crystal Tang, and Evgeny Malkin, the core that built them the championship rosters. Because when he kept, you know, let's say the lockout still happens, the Pittsburgh Penguins would have made the playoffs more often and they would have had fewer balls in the lottery or more balls, depending, I can't remember exactly how the formula was, but they would have had a far less chance of picking number one overall 
Sidney Crosby might have wound up going to the Montreal Canadiens or the Ottawa Senators or the New York Rangers or, God forbid, for a Pittsburgh fan listening, the Philadelphia Flyers. So, like, that could have, which would have radically reshaped the entire landscape of the NHL. So, you want to go down a rabbit hole, Lemieux doesn't get sick. Pittsburgh doesn't go into that big 10-year lull. They don't get Sidney, they probably don't get Sidney Crosby. He goes somewhere else, and the league is totally reshaped. And do the Penguins still even exist? Yeah. I mean, with the way they were going down that rabbit hole of we're broke, we got to sell. Do they well, even still exist? Well, I think they still exist because they wouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole in the first place. Fair. No, fair. Yeah, they wouldn't have been in trouble financially and no, that's fair sell point. the team off, you know, buy a tile of this chair, please, or... <laughs> you can paint a penguin on the outside of the arena just anything give us money but, but yeah no it, so something that had happened 30 years ago mario getting sick and then the massive effect it could have had on what we call the nhl today i st- oh justin i think you're muted buddy i think you hit me by my mistake I hit the space bar by accident. That's clearing something off. Um, I think I still think they would have got Crosby because I think that was the most even lottery because there was no season ahead. If my recollection of what happened, I think it was pretty even. But they wouldn't they have had leaning, they did have a leaning towards teams that hadn't made the playoffs, but it was like everybody gets three. And then if you haven't made the playoffs in the last three years, you get three more, or two years you got two more. It was something weird like that. It was weird, but like Ottawa still picked in the top ten as well. Like the, it just uh, I don't know. I it was a weird it had to be weird because of what happened before, but they wouldn't have had Flurry, they wouldn't have gotten Malkin the year before. Uh, so who knows what or who they would have had? Like, uh, well, yeah, they want to think about this for a second, though, as well. You're right. Who knows what they, who, who knows they, who they would have had? But if Pittsburgh doesn't trade Yager to Washington, mm-hmm. Washington never trades into the Rangers, and Washington never gets first overall to get Ovechkin. <laughs> I see eyes going up all across the screen. Yes. That's interesting. That's interesting. That. Those trade trees, I have to say, when you see them on Sportsnet or Facebook, wherever, randomly, if you see those trade trees, they are pretty amazing. Oh, they're wild. The last one I saw was Trevor Linden. Blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, whoever thought of like that as an idea deserves every bit of financial success that hopefully they are getting because people just go apeshit for trade yeah. trades because it no just goes way. on forever it just no like way. you you think it's like oh yeah well no it just that's the point of a tree <laughs> it branches off imagine that nature's nature's pretty wild that's yeah dude does Pittsburgh get in trouble? Does uh, yeah, it um, Pittsburgh eventually gets in trouble, 
but not for about probably 10 to 15 years after they got in trouble to begin with back in the 90s. We're talking maybe 2000, because Mario played another season and another another season and a half after the lockout. Yeah, he played he played with Crosby. Like that's the thing. How many more cups would they have kept winning in the nineties? Uh, you know, does Broder win in ninety-five? Do does do the Rangers win in ninety-four? Um, you know, do does do the Red Wings have a, a dynasty in the late nineties? Like yeah. are the Avalanche perennial contenders still? Exactly. Yeah. Do we get that? avalanche detroit bloodbath rivalry of the 90s there was a lot of things that that happened the league went underwent a seismic shift when lemieux missed most of that year with with, with uh with not hodgkin's lymphoma and then when he had to retire a few years later with a back injury the league went through a, a, a seismic shift of, of, of balance of power here's here's another thing too does Canada win gold at 2002? Because Mario was the leader of that group. I mean, obviously, it's when you have an all-star team like Team Canada was in 2002. But I think he was the 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 guy, the cog that made everyone work so well. Look at his play. No one thinks of a play like in the gold medal game where he's like hey i'm gonna get this puck and i'm gonna take that shot no no he was like i'm gonna let it go right through no one's ever seen a play like that in hockey before other sports but you in the biggest match of all of their careers let it go through the legs and a wide open net like it's still a top highlight one of the best goals scored in olympic history just... I think I think Canada still wins gold, but they do it a different way because Lemieux still would have been a dominant player. Everyone would have been focusing on him. The team would have been built a little differently, but Canada, I think they still win gold, but it's a much different way they do it. I mean, we don't have to rely on Belarus beating Sweden on a fluke goal and then playing them in the semifinals. Oh, Tommy Sallow. <laughs> Tommy Sallow. Uh, you must still have nightmares about that moment. I was just going to say, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I just can't get over that. That was over 20 years ago. It's like, stop the world. I want to get off. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. It's we're past, we're past the 20th. Jeez. I didn't even see anything about the 20 year anniversary of. Yeah. uh, 20 and a half years ago. Pandemics, man. I tell you. They just take out of uh all right so i have one more and then if you guys have any feel free to jump in uh what's a good one all right we did that we did that all right we'll do another baseball one because we are coming up on the baseball playoffs and this one i think gets asked the most since it happened so i you know it's Probably old rhetoric, but it's been a little bit since it, the incident happened. Um, and now, of course, there's been a Netflix documentary uh, and everything's kind of kosher now. But um, what if Steve Bartman doesn't get the foul ball? 
man, Chicago Cubs fans, up until 2016, you were probably still cursing his name. Honestly, in the, in the 03 World Series, that was 03, the, the Marlins won that year, and they, they wound up beating, I think they beat the Yankees, did they not? In seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, both of the both of the World Series of the Marlins were in seven against Cleveland and the Yankees. Um, uh, I gotta say, the Cubs. Not only do they beat the Marlins, they probably go on and beat the Yankees, and they and they win a World Series, and they would have ended their drought thirteen years before they did. That drought doesn't reach a century if Bartman keeps his bloody hands to himself actually i just realized I, I have a correction it was actually six not seven for oh three but either way oh, yeah, they, they still won either way it was my bad um, i will say i will say a correction before we go any further steve berman just happened to be the guy who touched the ball everyone else around him also went for the ball he just got targeted because he touched the ball and also that if you haven't seen the documentary highly recommended on Netflix, it kind of, I don't want to say justifies, but uh, he was painted as a villain and this kind of tried to paint him as not the villain, just wrong place, wrong time. Um, but I know there was a Yahoo in a gray sweater right beside him that jumped Missed the ball, or he jumped straight and and just, but yeah. so I think any one of those people around him could have been the Steve Bartman, because they they all went for the ball. Well, okay, maybe it's maybe I'm a different kind of fan, but if it's a big pressure moment like that, and your team is on the you know your, your team is battling to go to a World Series here, and then. If you your team looks like it's going to be a World Series contender and maybe even a World Series champion, in late innings, if a ball's coming towards me and I'm right near the fence, I'm actually leading my best bat. But here, come catch the fucking ball and get out of the damn inning, please. I will also say too, from my recollection of the video and pictures playing in my head, I could pull it up on my. But uh, not many of those fans in that area wearing an actual jersey or memorabilia of the team different time so, different era so how big of a fan you know because like you said like you know we know the situation how many of those fans actually knew like oh back up like he could catch it it was uh alu right moises alu yep okay yeah you know how many of them be like oh man he's gonna make a play like watch out like we i know charles same way like we'd all like put our hands out and block people beside us yeah. from going for the ball. If it made a chance, like all those stuff play into like, how were they there? Like, were they following? Do they know the etiquette like that? Like all this stuff. And then were, of they, course, drunk? were they drunk? And of course that thing, Oh my God, like a foul ball is coming. Like that instinct just kicks in. Hey, I'm going to catch it. How do you sh like if, yeah, it's, <laughs> You got to be, a, I think, a, a level of a fan to shut all that off and like understand the situation, and you know, sitting in those seats too. Does that come with that territory? Like, you see, the you know, the I want to say they should have known. You're sitting down in the left field line, 
you know there's not a lot of foul room down there once you get past, you know, once you start getting into those that last 30 feet of, of left field, that there's almost no foul room. So the ball's coming. It's going to come at you. Unless – if I'm sitting five or six rows back, yes, the, the, the height of the way it was, there's no way Moises would have gotten to me. I wouldn't have cared. You're sitting in the front row or two. Back the hell up. Like, get out of the way if you can. And like you said too, Justin, like, were they in that kind of like fog, like gaze, like were they intoxicated? Yeah. So much emotion going into that kind of game. They're on their edge of their seats. It's towards the end of the game. So you've been sitting there and like, oh my gosh, a flower ball. You, you're automatically, everybody most likely is like, oh, I'm going to jump for it. I'm going to jump for it. But then in this case, it's like, oh, don't jump for it. But we all know how that ended. And this and this whole incident happened just a year or two after that young kid reached over in the Baltimore Yankees game and took what should have been an out and made it a home run. And now, obviously, complete wrong call by the umpire, who was right down there. I don't know how he called it a home run, but it took what should have been an easy out into a home run. So I think a lot of people were still – you know, there was a lot of flashbacks to that, and it's like another fan interfering, and the reaction blew up probably to a magnitude that it wouldn't have had it been the first one. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Like I can, I actually that was actually around like the first time that I can recall ever actually like paying attention to baseball because 2003 was the time that I went to like my first Jays game. It was around late September. So the Jays were long done. So then before you know it, postseason started. And I do remember watching like maybe a couple of games here and there, but not being quite as invested back then as I am now. Um, I do remember seeing highlights of the incident and everything. And I mean, granted, got to take into account that I'm about 11 at this time. And, you know, I just discovered baseball pretty much for the first time and i just for me i just i couldn't really get the reaction a little bit like again like i'm 11 and everything like hockey to me was king at the time and i just i couldn't get over how much cubs fans were foaming at the mouth over all this now i look back at it now as some as someone who's a little bit more versed with baseball and realized yeah i can see why at the time tensions were a little heated and everything particularly with that big drought you know level losers and all I mean, so many what ifs could have been in that one. I mean, I will say, I mean, my personal opinion, like I'd say there could have been another scapegoat or Billy goat, I guess I should say, um, <laughs> that could have um, uh, been the other Steve Bartman because there were other people that were trying to grab as well, too. So for all I know, I mean, there could have been someone else that could have grabbed it and so it would have been someone else going into witness protection and whatnot. <laughs> it's just so, funny looking I, I back guess. at this photo now. And, and, you know, I think Steve Byrne was a really big fan because not only does he have a hat on, like, obviously that, but he's listening to the game on the radio. And I remember that they mentioned this in the documentary that the radio call was two to three seconds or five seconds behind the actual play. Yeah. So when, you know, he's listening and kind of watching and they, they said that kind of altered like how he 
got up for the ball because he was listening and then noticed what was happening on the field. But if you look, uh, looking back at the photo, he's, he's in the ball cap beside him. There's someone clutching back. Like they're going to get hit. He looks like he's in a, uh, Cubs hat. And then we got man in gray sweater. Who's kind of looking to juggle the ball too, like pushing the, uh, the person between Steve and him out of the way to try and get the ball. There's a lady in a jacket, uh, the guy. So, and like back, like three rows back, I see someone in a Cubs Jersey. So like, it's just, and then, yeah, there are people from behind, like four rows behind. There's a guy who's almost at Steve Bartman's head looking for the ball. There's another guy reaching with a glove who's three rows back behind gray shirt guy. So I think regardless if Steve, if someone else was there, we would have had someone, they would have blamed someone. And I appreciate that they gave him a world series ring when they won. And, you know, everyone's kind of forgiven him for an incident that, I mean, let's be real. Like it wasn't, it's a sport. It's yes. It, it impacts a lot and money and blah, blah, blah. But he was vilified to the point where like he couldn't walk around Chicago, which is a scary thing to think of. I mean, depending on where you are, Chicago's scary enough as is. Yeah. So (laughs) just to add to that, Justin, you kind of hit my point on the head here of it could have been anybody. It could have been the guy one seat to the left. It could have been the girl one seat to the right. It could have been a row behind. My other thing with the whole Bartman incident was it was game six. And they managed after that Bartman incident to give up eight runs and then proceed to lose the next game. I don't know if that's on Steve Bartman or if that's on the team for not being able to close out that series. So, yes, I can understand how he was vilified. I was never a fan of how he was vilified because whether it was him, the guy next to him, the girl to his right, whatever, somebody was going to make contact with the ball, like you said. The other thing, too, so what that they lost game six? They still had to come out and win game seven, and they didn't do that. So really, is it Bartman's fault? Or is it the fact that the Cubs just didn't play well enough over those next, you know, I guess 11 innings, because it was the eighth inning at the time. They just didn't, they didn't want it. They didn't play well enough. Bartman be damned. You still gave up eight runs. You still lost the next game. That's not on Steve Bartman. That's on you guys as a team. Sorry, like... And they if were at home interfere with the ball. I still think they lose the game because they still proceeded to give up eight runs after the incident. So, but, what, but wouldn't, but wouldn't he, the out, the out would have been the third out of the inning. Would it not? I'm would not ended the sure. inning. If it ended the inning, then you still, maybe what happened, what happens in inning nine, you still playing game seven. You still lost game seven. Ah, so, but I don't, I don't know. Now, like I, said, I don't remember if it was a two. If, if there was two out already, let's for argument's sake say that there was two outs, and that would have been out three. Big difference. Very big difference because then Florida has nothing. Yeah, they, they, they bring their big closer in for the ninth inning. Florida has nothing. They don't get eight runs, and they don't win the game. Chicago's off to the World Series. 
yeah, fair enough. It's just that whole that whole ragging on Bartman. It could have been anybody, oh. and then still, you gave up eight runs even with two outs. How do you do that? You choke that way. How do you give up eight runs in the playoffs in one? Whether inning? it's That's two outs or tough. one out, and Bartman interferes, they still gave up those eight runs. You didn't play well enough. You didn't. Uh, well, ask, ask Texas. How do you come within one strike of winning the World Series twice in one game? Blow it, and then you blow it game seven the following night to St. Louis. Because that's and baseball. <laughs> so, that was a uh, I mean, just to take devil's advocate for a moment, not that I necessarily believe this, but just to throw it out there, Kenzie, not that I disagree with your point. I, I, I do think, you know, that there's a lot of validity there. But just to, you know, just to have a little fun. What if, and then people will say, oh, these are professional athletes. What if in that moment, the all the Cubs players realized that might have been their best chance to end Florida right there? And the funny little magic that is momentum got on their side and psychological, and the Cubs beat themselves from a psychological point of view because they thought they missed their chance and they couldn't recover for game seven. Do you still, do you still blame any blame? I'm not saying vilify to the level he was. Let's take that away from the equation. Do you still lay any blame at Bartman's feet? Half. Okay. Okay. Half of it, because if that's going to throw you off, you're still a professional athlete. You still had the mentality to get there. You should be able to overcome a, yeah, he touched it. He shouldn't have. Okay. Moving on. I should but be I'm, able to move on mentally from that. The fact that how many times in baseball, and hockey and other and other sports, have we seen a bad call, a missed play, this that snowball? Oh, a lot. But my my thought as a professional athlete, you need to overcome that. You've overcome harder shit. You had to have overcome harder shit to get there. So you have to overcome. I know you're going to be off a little bit, but the Cubs were off for eleven innings. They were all, the game seven, you can't blame Barton. No. But you, you'll always find that one person who will blame Barton for that because, well, they should have won in game six and they, they, they wouldn't have played game seven if it wasn't for him. So, so I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll leave it at this. If it wasn't for Bartman, they weren't thrown off the last two innings to lose the game. The fact that they lost that game should be on Bartman. The fact that they lost game seven either a night or two nights later, is on them. They should have been over it. I'll buy that. I'll buy it. And that's the magic of uh, of what it is. I mean, you could go that same route, right? Like, oh, you know, human momentum, it affects the mentality. But if you put that, you know, human element, I mean, everyone's human and all that, but you have to give that same human element to the fans as well. Like, you know, they're human. They're how many times does a ball come right to them? For many of them, probably never. And so that human instinct. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Now it's time throw it out to you. Do any of you have a wonderful, what if that you want to oppose uh quandary to really been, on your mind that you're like, I need to hear other people's opinions about. 
Like, Cole, what happens if your team doesn't win beach volleyball again? Just <laughs> what if do you disband? Do you guys do you retire from volleyball? Like the possibilities are endless. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, go into that. We just started indoor. It's going to jinx it already. All right. I'll throw one at you guys here because I I have a ton of thoughts on where this rabbit hole can go, but I want to see if anyone sort of follows my thinking or has something that I didn't think about. What if the 2004, 2005 NHL lockout never happens? Well, number one, you don't get that dream team at the World Juniors. You don't get that for even not just Canada, any country. A lot of yeah. countries were able to bring guys because they weren't playing in the NHL. Um, if that lockout doesn't happen, you don't have that dream team. Crosby's playing in the league. Ovechkin's not playing for Russia. Malkin's the only real superstar kind of there. Everybody else is playing. Bergeron's playing. Taves is playing. All those names are playing. Well, Crosby hadn't been drafted yet, though. Okay, so yeah, Crosby would have been the star, not Malcolm. I'm backwards. Apologies, but you you get the point. You don't have yeah. all the stars there. You don't have that World Junior Super Tournament, in my opinion, where it was like the best hockey you can ever watch. But what, what about the rest of the league? What about, you know, you know, because we came off Tampa Bay winning the cup in 04. Then we had the World Cup of Hockey where Canada pretty much dominated. And then you had the lockout. And then a lot of guys retired because they, they took, you know, their bikes took gear off and they felt, okay, I actually like this. So I, I'm not going to gear up and put my body through this again. You'll get some of the guys who retired, who retired coming out of the lockout. Guys like you know, Scotty Stevens, um, you know, I, we can go on and on about who retired, but do some of those careers keep going? Do we like, would Tampa have been able to repeat a Stanley Cup champion? Now that's a big question. Would Ottawa, like how would Ottawa have done? Cause you know, they signed Dominic Hasek. They didn't get the first year out of him because of the lockout wiped it out. They only had half a year of Dominic Hasek. Does Ottawa put it all together in 0405 and are they a Stanley Cup contender there? Does the host of her Heatley trade happen? For Ottawa fans listening, put put that in your pipe and smoke. And to, does Ottawa trade Hosa for Heatley still at that point? I'm um, going to do you one better. Okay. We would lose four to six NHL teams without that lockout. They would have moved. They would have... Ottawa potential, Columbus, um, Minnesota, Carolina, uh, San Jose was iffy. Wouldn't Pittsburgh have been in the mix at that time? Yeah, at that time, yeah, Pittsburgh probably, which is crazy to think like how close they actually were such a uh, you know, an old team, if you will, or a seasoned team. Um, Florida. Florida, for yes. sure, yeah. Would we even um, be even talking about things like salary caps and whatnot? Well, that's the thing. Those small market yeah. teams wouldn't have been able to survive Mm-mm. a few seasons longer. 
Even a city no, like have... Pittsburgh, like a well-established, high-density Pittsburgh was in trouble. And you're thinking, how is that possible? You... You're like, oh, the smaller cities, yeah, for sure. But Pittsburgh, like... Okay, you said Ottawa, Justin. Uh, with Melnick having just come into the picture here before, you think they still would be, you think Ottawa wouldn't have survived? Because at the time, Melnick had a lot of money. He hadn't gone through his problems yet. He had lots of money. That's true. He did come in just before. So, yeah, well, that's why I said like iffy on Ottawa because, yeah, they were just like they were just saved. Um, I so. definitely agree with Carolina. I definitely agree with Carolina and Florida for you. 100% agree. Well, how cl- yeah. uh, if you've been on Disney Plus, um, the Islanders, uh, like eight years before. Yeah. The fisherman friend jerseys, which I seriously want one so bad because the Ziggy Palfy. Um, you know, there's a good documentary that was a 30 for 30 where some guy yeah. faked his way to owning the Islanders for a few months yep. until they figured out, hey, he actually doesn't have money. They were in dis like how many teams were oh, yeah. like that that are only now coming out that they were in trouble or uh, you know, now that it's okay, be like, oh yeah, we were so close to, to leaving. Or how many times did teams threaten to leave? Uh, and those smaller markets where they went to them, they're like, build us an arena or we're going. How many cities could afford that or the taxpayers wanted to do that? It, it could have been a very different landscape. And, you know, that the Tampa Bay's first cup in 04 saved their franchise. They were going to be gone. Exactly, yeah. Hockey in, in Florida, the state, was not working. No. Same thing with the, 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 the with the euphoria. Sorry, the euphoria of Florida's '96 run had long worn off. Oh, exactly. If Texas, if Dallas didn't win the cup uh, in '98 or '99, you know they like. Who knows if hockey would have caught on because they moved from Minnesota, which is a ballsy, yep. like. That's a hockey state. They call themselves hockey state. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Minnesota could have. The wild probably would have been fine because they would have had an entire state behind them. But Columbus wasn't clicking yet. Atlanta. Well, they wound up leaving for Winnipeg anyway. Exactly. That yeah. probably would have expedited it. Phoenix. Would we we still have the same problems in Phoenix? So would they have? Uh, oh, they would have gone long ago. Sweet jerseys and all, yeah. they they would have been packing up. All right, so then well, let's take it a step further. Walkout doesn't happen. Teams wind up either folding or moving. We're not doing a video broadcast, but for those who can't see, I am wearing a outdoor rink hoodie of. The Quebec Nordique, who eventually became the Colorado Avalanche, would the Nordique have returned? No, as long as Steve, as long as Bettman is commissioner, Quebec will not have a team. He does not like to deal with the the French side of stuff. I, I you know, it's with, with the exception of Montreal. Well, yeah, that there's no he. See, that's the thing. The, the conspiracy theory of how it can, if people always say like, oh, Montreal won the cup and he was commissioner. No, he, he wasn't. Was, he was four months into his commissionership. He, he wasn't commissioner until 94. He did not become commissioner until after Montreal won the cup. 
See, I've heard reports that he started the spring of 93. Yeah, it, I it, too. Like it was, was very early. He wasn't officially the commissioner until after the cup happened. Okay, well. Yeah. Like that's what I thought, but then everyone has yeah. But either either way, so I I don't think you can fully control who wins like if you're believing in that conspiracy garbage that but you can control other things like uh where teams get put um you know there was no place ready for Atlanta to go to he desperately wanted Vegas Kansas City Houston they're other than Vegas were are not ready still to this day the only two cities that were ready were Winnipeg and Quebec City and to him, what do you think the better choice was? Well, the city that got the team. And to this day, I still don't understand why they let him go to such a small rink because now, up until Arizona's Wilson fiasco, it was the smallest rink in the league in terms of attendance. Quebec's is 3,000 bigger. They did the season seat pre sale. All and, gone. And they were all gone. So that, sh- uh, that was the test, essentially. And that obviously showed that they make money. And I think that was the only worry at that time. And they were like, oh, okay. But the same thing would have happened in Quebec. So you honestly could have done a coin flip. Yeah. And to pick a city. But I think to him, it wasn't even a choice. But but with all those teams we've talked about, like Columbus, Carolina, Florida, uh, Arizona, you think Quebec wouldn't have gotten any of them? At all? With that many, it would have been hard to say no, but I think they would have just folded some teams and not moved them. And done a dispersal draft. And they would have tried to force Kansas City, a Houston. They would have gone to Seattle a lot sooner, probably. Seattle. Vegas. Well, Vegas, I think, was a harder sell than Seattle, but now Vegas is the hot commodity, so. Literally, I know one thing I I read up somewhere years, years ago that one major factor for the Nordiques, I mean, outside of like, well, kind of like the same with Grizzlies, you know, we Canadian dollar didn't help much for them back then. Another thing was not only were they one of the smallest NHL markets at the time, if not the smallest, that the other thing was, well, Quebec City, I'd argue still is in a way a very monolingual city. Like it's very much, well, en français. And um, not as much anymore. Oh, not as much anymore. Okay. That's good. Okay. Good. No, right I, on. I, I have a friend who's on the Canadian forces station there and it's become such a tourist destination that English is spoken as about as much as French is in the main areas. Interesting. Okay. Thank you very much, Charles. Okay. I did not realize that. Okay. My bad. I mean, I granted, I do know that that was the factor, at least back then. I mean, that was the reason why I believe Lindros was a little hesitant of going over because he was like, I don't know how to speak French. I, I just, no, 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 no. Je ne sais pas. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, so, okay. So if the situation has changed a bit over there, then okay, maybe things might change down the road, but yeah, at least back then, yeah, I think the cards were a little stacked. They also have a brand new, shiny, big NHL-ready arena. It looks so beautiful, though. I got to say the outside of it, I, I'm sorry to say this, and I, I don't mean this as like a crack, but it makes me think of a smoke detector. 
Uh, well, was it Rogers Place in in uh, in Vancouver? Rogers, what was the arena in Vancouver for the Canucks? Rogers oh, Arena. Uh, yeah, Rogers uh, Arena. Yes, Rod. Okay. Yeah, Rogers Center Arena. Rogers arena Center. No, Rogers, Rogers Baseball. Rogers Place is here in Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah, it's gonna be Rogers Arena. But that that looks like a giant satellite dish. Fitting, knowing the company. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> the football stadium in Vegas looks like the Death Star. Yes, it, it does. does. They call it the toilet God, bowl. It does. <laughs> no, that, should, that should be reserved for the stadium in Washington. Sorry. <laughs> but honestly, like, how different would the NHL be? You know, if we want to wrap this all up into a little box instead of a rabbit hole, how different would the NHL look if that lockout never happens? Vastly different from today. So different. We talked earlier and yeah, well, it it even goes down to the players. Is Crosby a penguin if that happens? That's how big that lockout was. Yeah. It goes down to the face of the NHL for the last probably 10, 15 years, Sidney Crosby. Is he a penguin? Is Ovi a cap? Would Ovechkin have as many goals as he does on another team? Charles, apologies. What if it's not the lockout and we don't get price? Oh. Sorry, oh. but what if? Okay, fair. Part of me kind of wonders if if things kind of really went to the wayside with NHL after the lockout. It almost makes me think. Almost makes me think. Could things have been kind of like with well, what happened with MLB after 1994? Would th- would people have been just as up in arms back then as well? Instead of coming back in droves after being so starved for hockey for so long. I mean, if things really went, you know, it's up. Um, yeah, maybe people wouldn't have come back in droves. I mean, I know for me personally, the lockout really, really killed my interest with the game. I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of the few Canadians I can probably say that, but it really killed my interest. I had no interest whatsoever. I got into like other interests here and there. And another thing that really uh, that I got into at the time, or at least got to notice was, well, junior hockey. And I know like with OHL and WNA, WHL and uh, the Q like they saw like they got their attendance got a big boost in the arm like a good jab in the arm uh, when the lockout happened and I went to a few games you know in OHL like I went to one game in Mississauga went one in Guelph and really enjoyed the time there and of course in OHL there was the whole run with the London Knights and everything and with the the fact that well the major uh, TV um uh, providers or uh, channels, you know, like TSN and particular Sportsnet, had nothing else to show, at least at that time, really. So they saw this big run happening. So they were like, well, let's get into this. And then before you know it, Memorial Cup gets a good jab in the arm and popularity as well, too. And it's considered like such a nice little springtime tradition now. And, you know, if Lago didn't happen, who knows where junior hockey could have been in terms of popularity and whatnot. I mean, yeah, who knows? 
I mean, and it, just right to your point, does London go on that 32-game unbeaten streak? Uh, does junior hockey get that boost? Does junior hockey fall off? Because it was kind of junior hockey, as good of a project as it is, for many years was kind of like the ugly stepchild to the NHL. Everyone, everyone sort of looked down on it because, like, oh, they're not pros, they're just kids. But then you know, the lockout sort of did change people's opinion quite a bit throughout, you know, Canada and the northern United States. Yeah, no so one was like, starved that much to get up uh, or stay up late or get up early to watch European games. So, yeah, especially when you can't understand half of what words are saying anyway. Yeah, what the company is that as like the sponsor of the center ice? I can't tell. What's on the referee's helmet? What does that say? Something, something. Name. <laughs> I don't even know who that player is. There's too many ads. Yeah. <laughs> is his name BMW? I can't tell. <laughs> is this hockey or is this NASCAR on ice? Yeah. <laughs> who is the real sponsor? I don't know. We're, we're slowly heading there, but that's a discussion for next episode. Uh we're going to drop it here. Thanks so much for uh, coming on this journey. Let us know what your what-if scenarios are, and um, maybe we'll do it on the next what-if episode. Uh, you can always email us at sportsnightpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at Sports Tonight Podcast. Uh, crew, thank you so much for coming down this rabbit hole, working those brains. I'm sure you're not going to be able to sleep because uh, you'll think of something. Um, but uh, for everyone here at the podcast, thank you so much for joining us once again. Season four, we are happy to be back and we're just getting started, getting you ready for the fall, the busy, busy fall that it's going to be. Um, so stay safe, have fun, and sport on. Sport on.